Hey, this is Pastor Nathan over at Mosaic Church, and you are listening to Tuesdays Are for Talking. This week, we're going to jump back into part two of a two-part series on sports in the COVID era. I've got Pastor Kevon Leiber back again as a guest host. I know you're all excited about that. We've also got Mosaic Deacon and nine-year NFL veteran Brad Smith back on the podcast. And if that wasn't enough, we invited Connie Chen to come and participate in this conversation today as well. We thought it was very important to get a female perspective on all things sports and COVID. Hey, let's get right into the conversation. Here we go. Welcome back into Tuesdays Are For Talking, and this is the first time that we've done a two-part series, and we're doing it on sports in the COVID era. And I think as we got into the conversation last week, we just realized there's a lot of meat on that bone. We should come back and have another bite. And so that's what we are doing today. Just to reintroduce a couple of folks, I've got a co-host with me today, Pastor Kevon Leibert. How are you doing today, Kevon? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, man. Really glad that you're here. We've got Mr. Bradley Smith. Brad, you doing good today, man? I'm good, Pastor Nate. Thanks for having me again, man. I'm so glad that you're here. And then we added to this podcast. I'm so excited. We get a female athlete in here, Connie Chin. How you doing, Connie? Hey, guys. Good morning. I'm so good. Well, we're glad that you're here, and though this will come out a few days later, we're actually recording this on July 1st, which is in baseball circles referred to as the Bonnie Bonilla Day, and we were just talking before we started recording, this guy has gotten one of the best deals in sports. He was owed a little over $5 million when he stopped playing back in 1999, I believe, and he deferred his payments for, for from 2011 to 2035. He's getting paid $1.19 million on July 1st every year. So how many know there's a party at the Vanilla home today, every July 1st? Everybody else is going to be cooking meat this weekend on July 4th, but they're getting started early. Have you guys ever even heard, before we jump into anything else, have you even heard of anything like that? This was my first time hearing about it. Um, I know of other contracts that are out there that some coaches are getting paid even after they've left schools and get paid for plenty of years. But I've never heard anything like deferring it for 11 years and then collecting $25 million when you're supposed to be getting paid five. That's amazing. (laughs) It's brilliant, actually. It is. is. It's pretty wild. So the the Mets at that time, they were doing some investments that they thought were really going to pay off. And they were working with somebody by the name of Bernie Madoff. And and so they had a lot of confidence that, you know, they would have more money down the road when they made this deal. I guess uh, it didn't work out exactly the way they thought. But anyway, good for you, Bonnie Bonilla. Go and get yours, man. I'm glad you got it. Well, getting back into the podcast here today, one thing we really actually did not do last last week was a little more in-depth introductions of everyone. And so I'd actually like to do that because I think the context matters for the kind of conversation we're going to have. And I'll start with my co-host first, Kevon Leiber. Now, Kevon is our pastor of children's ministry, but he's got a background in sports and coaching. Kevon, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your history with athletics and coaching? Yeah. So I grew up playing sports. Uh, my primary sports were football and basketball. I had one year of soccer because a friend convinced me to do it. I was living in Germany. And during my freshman year, I broke my jaw playing goalkeeper. I dove for a ball and got kicked in the jaw. And that was it. My soccer career was over. That's a wrap. And I was done. I was done. <laughs> I don't want to play. I mean, it's like, that's the one sport you think you're not going to break a bone. Nah, I broke my jaw. Oh. So I was done after that. Was that like milk um, milkshakes for six months or how did that work as far as yes, eating? Yes, like- that's, exact, that's exactly what it was. I had my mouth wired shut. I had milkshakes. I had soup. Now I can't even imagine that. Like I, I don't know how I survived that, but somehow that was the grace of God I survived that. Um, flash forward a few years. 
after college, my wife Katie and I get married, we moved to Dallas and I started teaching. And so I started teaching and I remember one day I was just sitting on the couch watching football and I thought, man, I would love to get into coaching as well as teaching. Like that would be really amazing to get back into my roots and like really get into sports again. And through a connection of a friend, I started coaching football. And then so I coached football, basketball and track over the next 12 years. And I was either a coach or athletic director in some capacity for that time. And um, throughout that entire time, I had a lot of great athletes that I got to be a part of their lives and get to mentor them, get to coach them. It was so much fun. I miss the kids. That's the one thing I miss. I don't miss the long hours. I don't miss 80 hours a week for very little pay, but I do miss the kids. So I loved coaching football and now I get to coach my own boys. So my uh, boys play sports and um, they're I'm probably the only coach that they've had. So I still get the coach, but just not on the high school level. That's awesome, man. Any Anybody you coach that we might have heard of? A couple of people. DeJay Johnson played for the University of Texas, and he was a stand-up there. Samaje P. Ryan played for the University of Oklahoma and then went to the league after that. Um, there's a few guys like that that I got the privilege to coach up, and I was a running backs coach. They were from right here locally, both of those. They were at Pflugerville, Hendrickson. So it was really cool to be able to um, coach kids. I went on to do some big things. That is awesome. Now, Brad, tell us a little bit more about your background with sports, man. How'd you get started? What all did you play? Where'd it take you? Uh, yeah, so I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, and Youngstown is is a football town. It's the Steel City, kind of de- declined Steel City, so everything we had was based around football. Friday nights was was everything. So growing up with that environment kind of shaped you know, how my outlook on everything was. So I played basketball growing up as well, um, basketball and football. I tried track for one year in the eighth grade. I tried hurdles, but I could, I was never coordinated enough to get over top of them uh, <laughs> without falling. <laughs> uh, man, I was, I was just a lanky, slow kid, you know, throughout most of my younger years until I got to high school and kind of my junior, senior year, I got a little bit better and I got some offers uh, to play Division One football, mostly smaller schools, and University of Missouri was the biggest one I had. Um, so I, I took it, and I didn't know where Missouri was on the map. Um, I knew where Ohio was. <laughs> That's about it. Shows how you know broad my world was at the time. So I went to University of Missouri, uh, redshirted my first year, and then uh, was blessed to be able to start the next four years at quarterback, and then got drafted to the Jets in 2006 in the fourth round. So I mean, football has been a part of my life. Just, I mean, uh, Youngstown is per capita for every 10,000 people. We have 10.6 NFL athletes, which is the highest in the country. That's unbelievable. Um, wow. That's amazing. It, 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 is, it is crazy. I mean, I, just the kids I played little league football with was, you know, one was up for the Heisman. I played with probably like four or five different NFL athletes just on our little, little league team, just my age. Then every year afterwards, there's always more and more coming through. So, I mean, it's just kind of a, a culture and mentality that we that we have. So just, um, you know, that's something I'm most proud of. That's crazy. There's some basketball folks over in that area too, huh? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Lee Brown. There you go, man. Connie, how about you? What's your background <laughs> with sports and it being an athlete? Yeah. Well, so I was homeschooled growing up. And so I started playing soccer when I was 12. But before I could play soccer with like uh, AYSO programs like that, I had to take two years of ballet for my parents' requirements. <laughs> so, uh, is there I home videos of that somewhere? We'd like to get our hands um, on I'm it. I was literally about to ask that. That was the next question. <laughs> I want to see video. 
<laughs> I know that there's pictures, but maybe maybe I'll show you all another time. <laughs> um, yeah, so two years of ballet, and then I was able to play soccer. And then I wanted to play basketball, but there weren't any like private programs, I guess, kind of like AYSO at the time. So my parents let me go to high school. So I played basketball and soccer all through high school. I took a, a, an attempt at cross country because it was the off season and I tried to stay in shape. But really, that just kind of backfired because it's just training different types of muscles, right? Like the longevity according against the agility muscles. And so that kind of backfired a little bit. But I played, so I played basketball through high school. I got a half scholarship to um, a community college and I played my freshman year there. And then probably didn't make the smartest decision, but I transferred to the University of Illinois, Chicago, and I walked onto their basketball team. And so I made that, but I didn't make the traveling squad. It was an interesting time of life. Um, but it's uh, but it was fun to play at a, at a big school like that and just be involved with the program and be involved with practices and, and, and the level of dedication that everyone had to put into it. it was amazing. And then I moved into coaching. I coached an eight, eighth grade boys AAU team, their freshman AAU team for a few years. And then I took some time off. And actually just last year, I took the varsity girls head coaching job at the Austin Royals. It's a homeschooled program. So just finished our first season this past February. So just yeah. in the nick of time. Wow. Just in the nick of time. Yeah. I'm I'm really glad to have y'all back here today as we get back into our conversation about COVID and sports and and some and maybe some dark sides of sports that's worth considering. I was also just listening this morning. You know, NBA's getting ready to start back up, and we didn't talk much about that. But man, they've got a crazy situation going on over there with the bubble. Kevon, what what are your thoughts about what the NBA is doing right now, man? Man, it is it's really interesting. the The whole fact that Disney and everyone was willing to make this thing happen is mind blowing. But Brad spoke to this last time. It's about that money, right? Like they're going to make it happen no matter what. And they're figured out a way, Hey, we'll bring you all together and we'll just hold you up in this place and make sure that we finish this season now. And it's, it's kind of genius. Like on one hand, because we want to be able to watch sports still. And that's one of the crazy things going on right now. Like, we haven't been able to watch any sports for months and it's kind of driving me nuts. Like, especially when March madness didn't happen and all that stuff went down. So it's this, it's this, um, this, this give and take this tension between, I want to be entertained yet. I know that there's this deadly virus floating around and people's <laughs> lives are at stake. Like, what do you do with that? And I think that does speak to, like you said, Nathan, the dark side of sports where we want our entertainment, yet we're like, hey, there's a risk inherent with this. We kind of talked about this last time. Like, I've seen videos from a few coaching friends right now, and they're talking about the risk. And, you know, there's certain players that are like, hey, I'm not willing to play. And they're like, no joke. Saw it this morning from a coach. He's like, well, then get out the way. There's someone on the bench that wants to take your place. And I'm like, okay, what do we do with that attitude? Like, I don't know. Um, Connie, I have a question for you. Being a coach now yeah. and growing up in sports, like, what? What do you think about that and just those thoughts around that? Because me being a former coach, like that's tough to grapple with. That is really hard because you do have this protective nature over your team, right? You have this protectiveness that you want to protect the kids. And as far as the bubble, it's different levels. You know, coaching the the high school girls and, and I would say, yeah, let's not play. But we don't have millions of dollars on the line. We don't have a league that we have to protect. We don't have salaries that have to get paid. We don't have those situations. So it's kind of hard to to compare the two. I think from the perspective of the NBA, I, I completely get it. And 
Honestly, I'm I'm for it. If, if I'm excited, like you said, there's this weird place of I get to watch games again. Like I get to be entertained. I get to experience this again because I'm, I mean I'm sure it's the same for you guys. But sports is such a big part of of who I am and and ingrained into into my brain. And and like when when Nate asked me to be on this podcast, I literally got so excited. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening on ESPN? I haven't even looked. And so it like the sports does this thing. It, it brings people together in such a way. And I think that part would be huge for where we are right now as 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 a society to be able to have that, to kind of be able to have that outlet, I guess, for lack of better terms. But then on the other side of it, you have the players who are humans, right? And they have families that they have to protect. You know, so they're they're also feeling the same things that we're feeling. You know, we're we're feeling like, okay, I don't want to go outside. I gotta be careful with who I come in contact with and and how you know, am, am I going to bring something back into my house with my family? Am I going to get my mom sick? Am I going to get my children sick? Like all of that stuff is, is real still, you know, on, on the level that they're at. So it's, it's, it's hard. It's a hard thing to decide one way or another, but I do appreciate how the NBA is at least being cautious and creating a bubble where you get tested before you come in, you know, and if, and if you're, if you have a fever or if you get tested positive, then you unfortunately don't get to go there. And I'm sure that's hard as far as separations go. And I know that there's one NBA player who's not coming, Avery Bradley from the Lakers. He's not going because he needs to be with his kids. Like I completely respect that. And I'm glad that no one's giving him a hard time about it. It's pretty wild. Those those guys are going to be basically in their bubble until... <laughs> I think someone said like mid to late October if they if things continue. Brad, going back to you. So if you know if you were still playing right now, but they said you can play, but from July until the end of October, you you cannot see your family. Like you cannot go to your home. You you must stay right here in this hotel, and we're going to play all our games right here in this one stadium next door. Is that something you would have even been able to do? Talk us through like what the the questions are that come to mind as you start to evaluate a process like that. For me, which I mean, I can just speak for myself, but I understand like there's different perspectives on it. For me, it's the love of the game, and I think just the people in my life, my wife, the, my kids, they they understand the level of commitment and discipline it took to get to to where we where we are as professional athletes and the desire to put that hard work to the test and, and be challenged and to go compete and to lose that as a as an athlete and as a competitor like it it stings so personally i would do that uh, i know a lot of guys coming through uh, when i was playing and even to this day they they play in one city and their family lives in another city so there, you know, you might live in Austin and play in New York. Mm. Um, so, you know, my wife was like, if if you went back and played, you know, we probably wouldn't move to New York again. We would stay here and live and kids go to school. And then we might come to the game on a Sunday, um, maybe, or we'll just watch it on TV. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of a common uh, theme, especially now the NBA, they travel so much. So it's not like they spending a ton of time with their family. There, there's so much traveling, so much moving. You either come and play in this bubble and get paid, or you cannot, and we could all uh, sit at home and wait, you know, till 2021 and possibly get paid or maybe, maybe not. Then I think the majority of guys is like, I'm, I'm going to take the risk and take care of my family and myself and, and get that money. So, I mean, economics, as horrible as it sounds, I think economics is always the driving factor in in our decisions as as professional sports leagues. I think that's um, an interesting point you bring up because I wonder how many people would be willing to go back to work right now 
if the money was right, you know, because I just oh, did a quick, right? I did a quick search. Average NBA salary, $7.7 million. Now, I know there's league minimums and other people don't make $7 million, but some people make $10 million. So if that's the average salary. If you're telling me right now, Kevon Lybird, I will pay you $1 million to go to Disney and go be in a bubble for six months. Katie will be like, bye, here are your bags. Go. <laughs> you know like it's so interesting like right absolutely and so i understand what you're saying brad it's it's such an interesting deal where we sit here and i I understand the wrestling with it like wrestling back and forth like what do we do with that i appreciate too how brad brought up like how much his family supports his drive you know family supports the competitiveness and recognizes all the work that goes into being an athlete at that level. Another human side of, of being an athlete. And like you, you, you put so much in like literally sweat and tears you put into, into getting your body as capable as possible. And then for your season to just get taken away, all that work feels like it's taken away, you know? And so then I I really appreciate how, how, you know, Brad, how your family would be like, go, you know, go do this. You've fought so hard for this. You've worked so hard for this. Um, and I just hope that that's what a lot of families and that's a lot of how um, families support, you know, our professional athletes. Right. And then the humanity of it all, like like you like you mentioned, it's, you know, whether you guys are, are musicians and singers and teachers and the commitment and the time of reading and um, learning songs, you know, orchestrating and all this stuff like the amount of time and effort that puts into it like you want to be able to present that and then you know on a on another note essential workers and people are going out and risking their lives for far less money than that so for their job so you to think that a guy wouldn't do it for you know millions of dollars and i don't know if that's a little naive i'm just sitting here kind of taking a look at uh, a sports calendar and it's there's 24 either leagues or significant events that they have listed and it's listing what has been canceled what has been postponed and there's two things that have been unchanged uh anybody know what those two things are nfl nfl and the U.S. Open tennis. Uh, yes. Those are the, those are the only things that change, but it's, uh, it's pretty wild. And I don't, I don't know if you all have seen this yet, but minor league baseball is now officially canceled. Uh, that season is over. It's not happening. And that's tough because those guys, they're not making $7 million a year. Um, they're not making 450000 a year. You know, most of them are going to be, you know, making what a teacher or a coach might make. And so you, you, you take that salary away even for one year and that's a game changer. And, and you think about what it does to, to the economies. And, you know, this is kind of what we started to get into a little bit last time is the, the, the economic disparities in sport is just wild. You know, Kevon brought up some, some great numbers that you found from even from just from the university of Alabama as it relates to you know what sports were profitable what what wasn't and basically what we learned is that football is paying for everybody um and and you you pause and take football away and it affects other programs connie back when you were playing college basketball did, did you have any insight into the budget that sport had or what the income was like or did was all that kind of shielded from you as a student athlete? Well, the breakdown of the numbers was for sure shielded. However, the disparities between the two programs of what new equipment that the men's program got as far as the women's program, new uniforms, new warm-ups, new basketballs. And then the women's, we had to hold on to what, you know, they had the season before or there was hand-me-downs or... You know, so you could definitely see the disparities in that. 
Connie, when you were playing, I'm not uh, super familiar with female athletics. I have just a little bit of experience with male athletics, but I didn't play, you know, any organized sports past the ninth grade in my growing up years. So when you got into college basketball, first of all, on on the uh, female basketball squad, how many folks are a part of that team there? Um, We had a full team. We had 12 12 players, two coaches. So yeah, it was a full team. And then you mentioned something about a travel team and then a non-travel team. How, how, did, how did all that work? Yeah. So at UIC, we had closer to 15, 15 girls and um, and 10 would travel. And then the other five would maybe get to play home games, depending on you know injuries, depending on you know how, how people felt. Yeah. So it, was, it, it played a little different at the bigger school. When you're a female and you're involved in athletics, and you re- recognize the same kind of support isn't coming your way as it might go to other male-dominated sports. Is that something that is thought about, talked about? Is that is that like a, a, a present sort of ongoing conversation inside of those circles? Or is it sort of like, we're not going to pay attention to that. We're just going to do our thing and, and whatever happens, happens. I'm just trying to gain some insight into the the psyche of what it's like to be a part of a team when you know, like, man, we're not getting the support they are. But we still love what we're doing and we're glad to be doing it. Maybe give us a little more background on what that's like. Absolutely. So it definitely played a role for me personally because they were only handing out a certain amount of scholarships and I was not about to get one of those scholarships. And so that's part, that's part of the reason or main reason why I only played two years in college. I needed to be able to work and, and also pay my tuition. So that was for sure part of why I stopped playing. But yeah, you could you could see it just like even in the girls who did get the scholarships, there would be kind of like these underlining jokes of, well, you guys get this and we don't get that. And we're the, you know, the ugly stepchild, as people would put it. And it, it was hard because, you know, we would kind of have these jokes and, and talk about how the men's program always got so much. And we were um, kind of the afterthought. We weren't, you know, we got the leftovers. We got the hand-me-downs. I remember there was one practice where they brought in new basketballs. We're like, what? This is the best. But it was it was hard to see everything else that was given or all the nice things given to the men's program. And then we got what, what whatever was left over. So we had, I had, there was a range of, of, of girls on the team who justified it. Well, they get more people, they get more ticket sales, they get more this. And then there was other girls who were completely, you know, totally upset by it, which understandably, understandably so. So it was, I mean, it, it definitely affects the psyche of a player. And then it, it's a hard thing to kind of, uh, like looking back on it now, seeing how we had to justify it is sad, you know? Um, seeing how we had to be okay with it, seeing how we had to say, oh, but that's fine. They get more ticket sales than we do. That's why they get the money or that's okay. They get more of this or they get more of this. And so that's why they get, um, the nicer things. So it was, it definitely affects the psyche. It definitely affects, um, the program as a whole. Um, and so it, it, it would have been great to have a support all around for an entire program and not just a men's program. And then women get the leftover. And this is really where you have like the intersection of sports with just our economic system in general, because there, there is that, that conversation that's, that's legitimate in terms of what garners the support, what has the viewers, what sells the tickets and all of that kind of stuff. But then when you go to the next, the next layer behind that, well, why does that get that support? Why does that generate the ticket sales? There's, there's a lot in there. 
Brad, you're obviously raising some kids and they're they're playing sports. And as you, you think about what they're moving into, do, do you think that sports the way it is, is the way it should be? Or if you could, could kind of look at some things that you thought might ought to change about how we do sports and how we support sports and how we fund sports, what thoughts do you have on that? Oh, man. I mean, that's such a such a layered and deep question. Um, I mean, we only start to, to peel the surface off, but Peel the layers, um, man. Peel the, peel the layers, man. Uh, I mean, I've always felt, and as I spent time in the game and, and different sports, that if you respect the game, the game will respect you. What you put into it, the hard work, dedication, the the integrity of the game. If you respect that, then you you'll get good things from it. But if you try to to skirt the system and you try to do other things without the right attitude, without the right character then it will, it will come back to bite you and actually do more harm than good. The pride and the desire to be seen as the best is starting to override the true integrity and what it means to be a team player, uh, what it means to be a, uh, an athlete, what it means to, I might not make it to the NFL, but hey, I, I know what it means to be accountable to somebody. And that's starting to shift. And, you know, I wanted to get into youth coaching to combat that. So I mean, that's what I see and I feel and kind of see it in the amount of injuries that are going on and the overuse with these kids as well. So just peeling the surface off. Yeah, that same thing is why I got back into coaching. Just the love for the game and what that environment does for a young mind to build uh, a teamwork, to understand the discipline that needs to go into it, to see that, you know, life isn't something that I can do. I, I, I'm naturally good at something so I can just keep going in life by myself and not worry about needing help or needing a support. And that type of thing, that type of mindset that sports have taught me is so powerful for where I'm at now in life. And I just, I want that same experience for for kids growing up, especially young women now and being able to raise them to be, you know, let's let's see a program that's equal to a men's program. Let's, let's, let's keep fighting and, and starting to see where we actually even out and then be able to push forward in their whatever their life has in store for them afterwards. But just the the foundation that sports brings is powerful. I want to kind of go off of that. So I feel like sports has an opportunity to unify people like no other. You know, we all grew up in sports and we played with people who don't look like us, who don't come from the same backgrounds. Um, Brad, what do you think about sports role in what's going on in the country and how we could possibly come together through sports instead of being divided? I think uh, Connie kind of mentioned it earlier. It has the ability to cross over so many different lines of separation. In football, there's <laughs> there's different races, creeds, colors, and you have to, in order to for a guy to literally, his safety is in your hands. And if you can't count on that guy, to do his job and to care about you, then you will, number one, you'll get hurt. Number two, you'll lose. Football is not the real world. It's, it's a microcosm of what happens in society. And, and if we could take that locker room mentality into our everyday life to where just identifying our goal as a people, like what are we here to do? And let's commit to that. And, that, and then it requires a lot of sacrifice along the way. So sports has the ability to connect us in a way, whether it's being a player we all can be players now and then how our world heals, how our world takes care of one another, what the racial inequities, all those things with pandemics. We have the ability to come together in a, in a special way and be that team. Otherwise, we wouldn't have an example other than sports to give us. So it has, a, it has ability to, you know, address the, the suppression of women's achievements that have happened for uh, histories, you know, eons long to now 
give women the power and the voice that they deserve to be able to compete and show what they have at the highest levels. And now they get the same access to the training and to the nutrition and to all those things to perform at their highest level. So it's just microcosm of things that we've done over the years to suppress people are now things that we can do through sports to highlight those things. I mean, reason why we love sports so much because there are heroes. The Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, the Jim Browns, the Colin Kaepernick's, the guys even separate from, you know, civil issues, just, I mean, Michael Jordan is, is a superhero to us. LeBron James is like, they're, a, they're superhuman. So we look to them for that encouragement. It's like, if I can be somewhat like that, then I can be successful. So sports is powerful. Like we, we try to limit it and say, you know, it's not, it doesn't mean nothing, but like it's ingrained in our society and our world that you know, it, we can draw from it. We can use it to to, an, to have an advantage and have some power and draw some encouragement from it. So just use it for what it is and, and, and come together with it. On that note, Connie, how do you feel about female athletes using their platform to be able to speak truth or to speak to power or to try to be able to speak up because they have a platform now? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's a powerful thing to allow because I feel like a lot of society speaks against athletes using their platforms. But I think it's it's a huge thing to allow professional athletes to speak to what is affecting them. You know, we talked about the humanity of the athlete, you know, and this is same thing. You know, they're they're just like us. They just are very more athletic than us, you know. So like I, I think it's powerful to to let women do that. I, I specifically was thinking about, you know, as Brad was speaking, the US women's soccer team. And I just honestly, I'm such a huge fan of them. I'm such a huge fan of them as a team, as a program. Um, but also individuals and how they speak up for for things that they're passionate about. And I'm glad that they do that. I'm proud that they do that. And it's also one of the first sports programs to to whose revenue is bigger than a men's program, which which has been which is really cool. The revenue of women's U.S. soccer, you know, I think it was just a hair more, but it was still more than the men's program. But then we can talk about salary disparities and how they get paid way less than the men's program. And so it's speaking to the, the power of their platform and or the importance of their platform. That's huge. And I think across the board, professional athletes should be able to use their platform to speak to what's important to them. I agree with you. And it's, it's, it's interesting when you hear people say, Hey, just go play your game. Just go dribble. <laughs> you know, they had uh, the, the lady, I won't call out networks and all that. We're not going to get into that right now, but you know, the, the, there it's was a thing you can read it. What's that? <laughs> I said, it's on ESPN. They can go look it up. Yeah, go, it's, go, it's go, go Google. You know, Brad referenced it last time. LeBron James just, I think the quote was shut up and dribble. Is that what is that what yeah. Said? yeah. Yeah. And interestingly enough, that same person had Drew Brees on to talk about his love for the American flag and patriotism. And that, that opinion was welcomed until he changed his mind, uh, while LeBron's was not on the same program. I think it's really important, though, especially in this country, that people who have a platform use it. I don't know. Did you guys see this? This Chinese superstar, uh, soccer superstar and Please forgive me if I mispronounce his name, but Hao Haidong, uh, he's a retired forward from Chinese national team. He played back in the 90s, early 2000s, and he's just he he's like a Michael Jordan to us uh, for them with soccer, as I understand it. And he came out, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, and he's, he's not actually living in China right now. And he came out, he was on YouTube, and he was had some critical things to say about the Communist Party and the Chinese government. And I read this really fascinating article about how this video blew up to over 8 million views, even though YouTube is actually banned in China, but people are accessing it, you know, IP shadowing and all that kind of stuff. And 
within about 24 hours, they went from like on their version of ESPN, which is a state controlled sports website. They went from decrying him and telling basically like, don't listen to him. He's crazy to actually then they took a different route and they erased his existence from the internet. So now it's like, let's just pretend he doesn't exist. So they just went and erased everything. So you can't now, apparently in China, if you like search his name, you get nothing. You don't get his accolades. You don't get any of that stuff. And you definitely don't get what he's been saying. So when we tell people to shut up and dribble, that's that's basically what the Chinese government is doing with their soccer star here who had something critical to say. And so I, I think absolutely, if you have a position to, to, to have a voice where people listen, you should definitely use it. Now, Brad, you, obviously, you playing in the league at the highest level. And, and you mentioned that. I mean, what's, what's your feeling and what happens maybe inside of a locker room when a guy goes out there on ESPN or, or on CNN or whatever and starts making some statements that not everybody agrees with? How does that affect the, the internal workings of the actual team and the way that plays out? Unfortunately, the, the climate has changed. Social media has really taken off. It's so huge. Like everybody's their own reporter now. So when a guy speaks out and I mean, two things, well, several things can happen. If it's something that makes sense and it's something worth fighting for, then we got your back, bro. Like we're going to somebody come at you then you know, we can come at them and we all, you know, we all come out guns blazing. Like that's one aspect. I know I had a coach in the NFL said if, if literally if somebody punches one of your teammates, if all of you don't get on the field and fight them, then you're all going to get cut. <laughs> like, like, like literally like, it's like that. that. <laughs> no, it's like that. It's like that. So like the mentality is like you, if, if, you're, if your teammate is standing up for something and worth fighting for and, and it's true and it's just and it's right, then a lot of guys, I mean, can make their own decisions, but they have the sense enough to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stand with you. And some guys might say something just totally ignorant and they'll get shunned in the locker room as well. Well, you know, we had some issues, some guys who said some racist comments, some N-words in public didn't know they were getting caught and we told them about it. It was like, man, what, like you're not like this with us, but now you, you go out here and you're saying these crazy words and, you know, like it's okay. I'm like, that ain't cool. So we had to earn our respect back. But at the same time, we're like, we're willing to slowly engraft you as you as your behavior proves that it's worth having you back and that you are, your true feelings are coming out. So, you know, it's, it's, it, the locker room is, I mean, it's, it's really such a beautiful place. It's, I mean, it's really vulnerable place. It's a place that, um, if you, if you own some other, some foolishness, you're going to get, you're going to get called out. If you own some positive stuff, then we got your back and we, we going to rock for you. So no, you, you can't shut up and dribble. You can't shut up and pass. You can't do those things, especially when it's bigger, when it's a human rights thing, then no, it's, it's not worth keeping your mouth shut. I just wanted to follow up too, real quick. I saw this comment, um, someone made on, uh, I think it was an ESPN thread somewhere. And they're like, I don't care what he says while he's not playing the game. I think they were talking about LeBron. I don't care what he says when he's not playing the game, but you you have to leave it off the court. Like mm-hmm. As far as talking about how the NBA is going to potentially let them put certain things on their back uh, instead of their last names or, you know, shoes that typically like they were originally not allowed to wear or that's NFL, I think. But what do you guys think about that comment as far as you can say what you want off but you have to just play the game when you're on. Man, that's so good, Connie. Like, we want our entertainment. We want you to to amuse me. But I don't want to hear what you have to say. I I don't want to. I don't want your mouth to move. I don't want you to feel like you have any power 
to control or change anything from, you know, from free agency in the NBA and the NFL being so limited until relatively recently to where like, no, we have control over you to make us money to do those things. And if you affect us making money, then you, you're either getting cut or we're going to shut you up. So you got to look at the NBA is, uh, has been a progressive league from for a long time. They've been ahead of the curve in, in, in terms of how they allow people to have voices, how they allow people to move in free agency and to, and to dictate what they want with their own lives and how they're presented in media and marketing. The NFL, on the other hand, if you look at the general fan base of the NFL, it's not conducive for that. It's more of the, I'm not even going to go there with terms and anything, but like it's just, <laughs> if you look at the bases of people who support those leagues, it tends to be less progressive in the NFL and like that's why they're so restrictive of guys expressing themselves because we don't want to offend those people so we don't lose their support and money which it always comes back to so I love the NBA I love what they're doing and the NFL has has some ways to go to catch up I think they're trying man you you said all that and it got me thinking and I I guess I'm gonna go there (laughs) um (laughs) you know when you were (laughs) when you were talking about it the first thing that popped in my head was shucking and jiving like that's the first thing that popped in my head oh, was, man. you know, you're like, hey, we oh, want man. you to entertain us and perform for us, but we don't want you to say what you want to say. And right. one thing I heard recently, um, it was very interesting. So there's an author of the book, How to Be Anti-Racist, Ibram X. Kendi. And he was talking about how we should judge diversity. And I thought this was very interesting. He said, we shouldn't judge it by its transient population, but by those who are in place. What that means, if you look at an organization, any NFL team, the players might be 70% Black, right? We know that about the NFL. But what does the organization look like? The people that don't flow in and out, the people that aren't moving all the time. If you look at it, those organizations are not. And what are the standards that are being held by those people that are in power? What is it that they are portraying? What are they saying? If you really look at that and you see like, hey, only one GM in the entire NFL is Black. Zero owners are Black. If you look at the executives parts of the NFL, it's not like that. You go to the NBA, things change a little bit. Change Things change with coaches. Things change with executives. You Things change with owners. You know, it looks different. But in the NFL, that does not happen. And so one thing you have to think about, is it truly diverse? And that kind of struck me. That was something different. Like, yeah, sure, the NFL is diverse. But no, it's not. If you just look at, hey, these people no. are entertaining us. But those that are in charge all look and think just about the same. And it really, it kind of, it really messes with you. Oh, bro, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like uh, I played for three different teams and most of the buildings are built. So you got the players downstairs, then you have the coaches at another level. Then you have the executives and the staff at this high level, at the highest level. Just the structural of a building like plays into your psyche. And then I, it's like, okay, uh, Brad, you got to go upstairs and talk to the people upstairs. I'm like, I got to go upstairs? Like, what are they going to do with me upstairs? Like, I'm scared to go upstairs. <laughs> so you go upstairs and there's, there's a few black people and minorities mixed in there, but it's majority white from the marketing staff to the the payroll people to the people who negotiate contracts to the uh, GMs to the pre- team presidents. Like, they're mostly white people. So you go up there and 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 that's who's representing you. That's who's, you know, kind of charting the course for this team. Um, that's why it's it's such a scary proposition to have a, an African-American quarterback. Because 
he relates so closely to the majority of your team and you can't say the things that you would say normally in that meeting while he's there uh. for fear that it would get back to everybody else and now you've lost respect so like i can't have somebody not everybody this is not a blanket statement but i think the the apprehension is i can't have somebody represent my team that doesn't represent me and what in my background and and how i look at things and how i want it to look that's 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 scary and i commend these coaches and teams who empower these these young african-american quarterbacks to excel and to relate to their teammates because that's a hard power to relinquish. Like that's you're the coach on the field. You're the representative of the organization and they're relinquishing that somebody that they not, they might not know what they're going to say. So let's talk about that for a second. Wow. So you, you were a quarterback and you played receiver. I got to ask you, of course. So we have a, we have a famous quarterback not playing football right now. Mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick, you mentioned his name earlier. So for someone who actually knows the game, should that guy still be playing football or not? There's no question. There's no question. To skirt the conversation and reframe it in a way to where his skill, you, you tell me his skills have diminished when even at the time he was um, he was diminished, he threw like 16 touchdowns and four interceptions. Like who wouldn't take that as an NFL team, even as a backup? Uh, my numbers might be off, but it's, it's something close to that. There's absolutely no question, and it, it all goes back to, and we've said it a thousand times, the money. If I tell my my fan base that I I even look like I agree with this guy and and the 49ers who we played with and, and all these fans who support them say, oh, you support that, so you're against all that, even though it might be wrong. I'll stop buying your, your jerseys. I'll stop buying your shirts. I, I don't go to your games. Like, to lose billion, potentially, you know, billions of dollars – it's not worth the, you know, not worth the risk. I mean, teams will do. Teams will shun you and cut you because you you said too much on Twitter, or you you had a rap song that you came out with where you said too many curse words. They'll they'll get rid of you for that. I mean, let alone fighting um, something that's such broad. I mean, they did it to Tim Tebow because you know he he was taking knee and he was too outspoken a lot of times. He could have been playing. As well, um, I mean, skills wise, he might not have translated as well, but it's, I mean, it's all the same. If you talk too much, then you're going to get, you're not going to be around. You know, I think of some backup quarterbacks, and I'm a Bears fan, so you can even include my starting quarterback. Oh. <laughs> but, um, but, but I think about, and I like, I, when, when Kaepernick was having his most recent, um, uh, workout, I was just begging the Bears to go, you know, and I remember feeling so disappointed that they didn't go. And I'm like, there's no way that what we have <laughs> is better right now. Like even as our, even our backup is not better, you know, like <laughs> our, our oh. um, <laughs> but it, like, when it, so as, as a fan, as a fan of a team, it, knowing that he's out there and knowing that his skill set is better it is so frustrating that that that's what's put in front of the success of your team, and like that yeah. that like as as a fan that's that's frustrating and it's just sad. I mean, obviously for all the other reasons, but like um, just another layer to add to it, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, want to add to that. So what's interesting is that um, one thing you have to point out is that even though all these executives and teams and all these presidents are white, that does not mean that they are automatically against it. However, if you had other people 
in those same positions with you next to you, if your GM was black, if your president was Hispanic, if you have other people that are involved in the organization, they will talk to you behind closed doors and be like, hey, we've got to listen to this. Even if you don't see it, we've got to listen. I think that's what happens when you don't have these people in those places. Even if you're a person, let's say white and you're 65 years old and you grew up at a different time and you're in the South, I'm not naming any names, and you just think a certain way that you believe and you stand up for certain things you're like this is the way it is if nobody in your entire organization can tell you hey maybe we should look at it just a little bit differently if none of your top people can say that then you will you won't hear it you'll refuse to hear it but if you have that diversity of thought if you have anyone it could be a white person it could be other white people that are saying hey you should just think about this then they would pause and be like, hey, let me go talk to the team. Let me get on the elevator, go down to that bottom floor. Let me go sit with the team and ask my athletes who are 70% black what they think about this issue instead of just making decisions up top without any thought to what the players say. Absolutely. Good, man. I mean, if you look at like the NBA, you look at these these black athletes, a majority black league, but how they integrate their minority culture into their locker rooms and into their teams like they become one of their brothers like the organization like does things to highlight things they might be interested in that are different from the kind of the typical hip-hop um you know urban vibe of the nba it was like okay you got dog on tyler hands bro let's see let's see what he what he's about let's see like Let's highlight what he's good at and what what matters to him. Now, that doesn't necessarily take away from what this urban hip hop community, like what really drives our our popularity. Like, no, that we're just highlighting the humanity of these guys, like to look at their humanity and have a representation, I think, is is what the NFL guys are looking for, what our society is looking for. Like like when we say sports is a microcosm of society, it so is like we're not people aren't looking for to be better than you're not saying black is better you're saying black is looking for equality not white is better white is just looking to be equal and to be seen people i mean just back to our faith we want to be seen we want to be heard we want to be valued and i think that's that's what sports kind of shows us like if we can do it if we really work hard at it Brad, I know that you and your wife are really working to try to instill that into young people. You want to just take a minute here and tell us about the Brad Smith True Foundation and the work that you guys do there? Oh, sure. Yeah, I always love talking about that. So it's going on our 13th or 14th year of having our True Foundation. I put my name in front of it because for like the legal reasons to register it, uh, but it's called the True Foundation. And we have camps and life skill classes throughout the years, um, throughout the year and over the years to be able to encourage and enlighten. Um, It's generally aimed at inner city kids, um, underprivileged, white or black. um, And but it's not limited to that. So we've done work in uh, Missouri, Texas, Ohio, um, California to where we basically find a need or um, whether it's buying sports equipment or a family doesn't have food for a week or Thanksgiving or Christmas gifts or um, an organization that's struggling as far as trying to get organized and, and produce a team to put on the field. Like we, our goal is to just find a need that will help the kids in the, in the, and their parents in the short term. 
And, but then instill with them skills and insight and lessons that they can use for the long term. So we use sports as a conduit to um, enhance and, and better people's lives. And we've coached, you know, over the years, you know, you know, five, six thousand kids and a lot of Division One athletes, a lot of pro athletes that's come out of there. And we're just um, just blessed to be able to give back. That's amazing. It is amazing, and as a part of that, you've got something called Chalk Talk as well. You want, you want to tell us about that piece yeah. of, the, of the equation? Yeah, that's my wife, Dr. Rosalind Smith. She, she takes that, and it's called Chalk Talk to where we sit down with the, the kids, boys and girls, and we go through, we start with STEM, science, technology, math, all those things, and we really do a deep dive into you know robotics. One year we did virtual reality, another year how to code. So we give them like some educational insight and then connections on you know, these are the degree programs that you can go into in college, and these are the professions, and this is what they pay when you if you go through this program. Like, this is what you have potential money to make, and I mean, you can make four hundred thousand a year, and then we just suppose that with what you can make from being a professional athlete, and over a life a lifespan, the average athlete won't make as much as somebody doing this job. And then we give life skills in terms of resumes, college applications, social media etiquette. Uh, Rosalind does. She spearheads all this. We've had CEOs from Fortune 500 companies come talk to the kids. Um, and she does a tremendous job of really um, get one on a deep dive with these kids and deeper than sports and uh, what they see uh, on an everyday basis of you know disparity and giving them hope. I love what you guys are doing there. And I love how you've leveraged the opportunities that, that you had and that you created for yourself to turn around and to give opportunities to, to other people and to these kids. I think, you know, this is one of the things that I love about sports is that it does seem like within the sports culture, while there's a lot of, there's a lot of dark side and there's a lot of selfishness and there's a lot of uh, uh, racism. There's a lot of all the things that, that we wish were not a part of our society. There's also a lot of good. And I do love seeing how many athletes and former athletes turn around and use that platform to bring about the good. And, and that's, that's one of the things that I love most about sports. And so, man, thank, thank you, Brad, for, for what you're doing there with that foundation. And of course, with what you and your wife contribute right here at Mosaic Church, you guys are both integral pieces of what we do. And we love you. Love you too, man. I'm blessed to be able to be able to do it, man. We're just, we're grateful and humbled by it. Connie, thank you as well for, for being here today and chatting with us a little bit. I do want to just kind of ask you, as someone who has played sports your whole life and now you're coaching young people, what do you hope to see in the future in terms of opportunities for the students that you're coaching? Is there anything that you want to see change? Give us your, your closing thoughts here as we start to wrap up today. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you so much for inviting me on. As far as, you know, what I want for the future, you know, and I think about my team and I think about the girls on my team, I think uh, representation across the board is is huge for them to be able to see women professional athletes getting the recognition that they deserve. I think off the top of my head, U.S. women's team is the one that comes to mind, right? Because that's the one that's out there building higher revenue, Um but we don't really hear much about the WNBA. We don't really hear much about other female professional teams. And so it's just, I think representation would be huge. Find a way to get them out there to get known that, hey, you know, if you're a young lady and you have this passion to play a sport, whatever sport it is, know that you can do it. Know that 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 you have people, a society supporting your dream and, and showing you like there's a path to do it and let's go in this direction to accomplish that. Um, I think that would be huge. And I would love to see that, you know, just because there is a passion in young women to 
um, to become athletes, but it's hard when you only see men succeeding in it. And that's not that women aren't succeeding, just don't see it. And so I, I think representation would be huge and just a way to encourage them uh, to, to achieve and, and fight for dreams because I've had so many conversations with, with young girls in high school that are like, well, what's after this? What's the point of working hard? You know, there's nothing after this, like, oh, maybe I can go play, maybe I can go play basketball somewhere, but what's even after that? So why would I do that? That's been kind of a heartbreaking conversation because I can't answer that, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what's after that. I don't, but I know like there's, there's, there's a passion in, in, in these young women that I want so badly to be able to light a fire under and give them a reason to fight and push and train um, and to, you know, to put in that sweat and tears that come with being a successful athlete at the highest level. And so just finding a way to combat that, that conversation, uh, combat that um, sentence of, well, what's after this? Why work hard now? That to me would be an amazing thing to be able to accomplish. I love hearing your heart on all of that. And I'm so glad that you are doing what you're doing and with the mentality that you have. So, Kevon, it's been fun to, to co-host with you here a couple weeks. I'll have to find a way to do that again sometime. Uh, Brad, Connie, thank you all so much for joining us on this week's episode of Tuesdays of for Talking. It's always good to talk sports, take a little bit of break from the, uh, the, the, the real darkness of the world. Man, we get into some deep stuff on, on this podcast, and sports is not absent that, but it's got a lot of upside, too, and we're all grateful for it. For it. Hope all these guys and girls that are getting out there to play can do so and stay safe and, and all of us fans can get back to enjoying it. So thank you all for being here today. Man, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks for letting me be here. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. For more information about how to get and stay connected to us, head over to mosaicchurchaustin.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope you'll make plans to join us next week. 